Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. We are coming to you with a special edition of Powerhouse Politics. You might call this, well, we are calling it an emergency podcast. Emergency. Emergency because we're seeing some pretty extraordinary developments out of the White House. We thought it'd be a nice little quiet weekend. Maybe they'd be teeing up Obamacare this week and talking about a revised travel ban. But somebody gave Donald Trump his Twitter back, John. We usually do our podcast at the end of the week. It is coming. We're coming to you now on Monday. And we had some extraordinary uh, activity on Twitter over the weekend. And uh, I've just got some breaking news for you now, Rick. I don't know if you have seen this yet, but we have heard from White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer about these allegations the president made over the weekend that Trump Tower was wiretapped and that Barack Obama, President Obama, was the one that ordered the wiretapping during the campaign. So Sean Spicer has just weighed in on this in the uh, the White House off-camera briefing, saying, are you ready, Rick? Go for it, yes. Quote, I'm just going to let the tweet speak for itself. Wow. Speaking tweets. That's where we are right now. And this is what's amazing among many pieces of this storyline is that there is no evidence that's been produced by the president or anyone in the White House to back up what the president said over the weekend. And to recap for people, he said that President Obama himself ordered wiretapping of his offices during the campaign, an explosive revelation accusing the former president essentially of a crime because it's not legal to just order a wiretap. Not even the president can do that, right? Not, not since Watergate, not since the 70s. It's not allowed. Uh, there, there are very good reasons for that. In fact, Obama people have pointed out it's for presidents like Donald Trump that this was envisioned as a problem. If people were inclined to order wiretaps like that, that is a, a strict protection. Uh, so if Donald Trump is telling the truth and Barack Obama did order a wiretap, it, he's right. It's an explosive, enormous, mind-bending story. And if he's not telling the truth, guess what? It's still an explosive, enormous, mind-bending story. Yeah, so what we want to do with this emergency powerhouse politics podcast is try to, to get to, to something of reality here about what is going on. We, we figured that there's probably one person outside of talking directly to James Comey uh, who could help us illuminate this, and that is... Uh, a gentleman who has served as both the head of the NSA. I don't know if you realize this, but Rick, the sure. the NSA is the agency that does a lot of this uh, listening in on various conversations, uh, has a tremendous capability in terms of surveillance, uh, monitoring of, of, of uh, all kinds of communications, and also uh, former director of the CIA. We're talking about Michael Hayden. He's going to be joining us shortly. And we're also going to briefly check in with our man at the Justice Department, Pierre Thomas, to find out what is really kind of being said behind the scenes, uh, both by, by the career justice people uh, and, of course, by, uh, by people around James Comey. Yeah, and, and there's so many different angles to this. But starting with the fact that uh, there, 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 this evidence has not been produced yet, and the White House answer on this, besides letting the tweet speak for itself, uh, is that there are media reports out there that suggest this. Some of them are anonymously sourced. They're okay with that. And they want Capitol Hill to investigate, which, of course, is its own oddity because these are things that happen inside the executive branch. So up until now, the White House position has been don't believe anonymous sources and don't believe everything you read, and there's no need for a Capitol Hill investigation. And now they have changed course on both, all because President Trump tweeted something 
that they, at this stage, don't have any backup for. There's no roadmap for this stuff, John. There's no way around this. And I'm struck by that now infamous line from Corey Lewandowski and others that the the mistake in understanding Donald Trump was to take him literally and not seriously when his supporters were taking him seriously and not literally. I would argue that if he is not literally correct on this point, he has got a massive credibility problem with the American people, with the press, with the Congress, and a lot of people are going to want to know how the president can just say something like this and think he can get away with it. So, Rick, when this news broke uh, in the form of the tweets from the president, which was very early Saturday morning, this set in stage a series of events, uh, set in motion a series of events. I, of course, like many others who cover this White House, the first question is, okay, the president just said that his phones were wiretapped, that Obama ordered it. What's the evidence? Where's this coming from? Did he just get read in on a secret intelligence briefing? Is there something, you know, what happened? Um, So I reached out to senior people at the White House, and the sense I got Saturday morning was that they had no idea, that nobody knew the tweets were coming. Nobody had any idea that this allegation was in the president's head. And there was a scramble on uh, by senior staff who probably thought they might have had a uh, relatively uh, uh, easy weekend with the boss down in, uh, in in Florida, leaving most of his staff up in D.C. That's another story. Um, but nobody had any idea what he was talking about, and they set out to try to find out. And it's very interesting to see allegation first, search for evidence second. Yeah, and, and uh, it's what we do as reporters, but the, the fact that it happened with staffers, and, and you alluded to this, John, the fact that he was virtually alone down there. The context for this is important. You had some really strong reporting over the weekend about something that uh, was captured a bit on camera in the Oval Office, but uh, a, a major showdown between President Trump and his aides over the Jeff, Sef- Jeff Sessions issue. Yeah, the president, right before he left for Florida, as you remember, he left late morning. He, he had an event to do uh, in Florida before going to Mar-a-Lago. He was scheduled to go with uh, with senior staff, including chief of staff Reince Priebus, chief strategist Stephen Bannon. He summoned his senior staff into the Oval Office with the helicopter waiting out on the South Lawn. Reporters already summoned there on the South Lawn to 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 be there for the departure. You know, the way it works at the White House, we don't usually get to roam around the South Lawn, but they they send us back there right near the Rose Garden so that we can shoot the helicopter, you know, leaving. So he was, the helicopter was there. It was ready to go. He brings his senior staff in. Bannon, Priebus, Sean Spicer, the new uh, communications director, uh, Dubke, uh, Jared Kushner, his son-in-law and senior advisor, and Ivanka Trump. So they are there. And critically, Donald McGahn, the White House counsel. They're there. The president, the way it was described to me, I mean, the word that was used uh, uh, by one source was ballistic. Another source told me that, you know, ballistic was probably a term that was a little bit too, uh, you know, played it down too much, (laughs) that that understated his (laughs) anger uh, during this meeting. And he was upset generally about the question of, you know, the Russia question and how this continues to hound him everywhere he goes. He can't put it to bed. But specifically, his rage was was, was aimed at what had just happened, that the afternoon before, Jeff Sessions 
had recused himself from having anything to do with the Russian investigation. And in the president's mind, as he told his aides, directing his rage at White House counsel Don McGahn, who had been the conduit uh, with, the, with the Justice Department on this issue, saying all that does is embolden my enemies. All that does is make it sound like he did something wrong when he did nothing wrong. It makes it sound like we did something wrong when we did nothing wrong. And he, and, and this is this is now something that Trump's actually been quite consistent about. When you are in the fight and you are under attack, you cannot give in an inch because it only shows weakness and emboldens your enemies. So he thought this was a terrible, terrible mistake, and he was in a rage about it, and then took off uh, on the trip to Florida. Bannon and Priebus did not join him, family only. Now, in the course of the reporting on this, several White House sources, uh, including some in that meeting, uh, told me that Bannon and Priebus volunteered to stay behind uh, because... They had a big week coming up, executive order on immigration, I mean, you know, extreme vetting and, of course, the Obamacare rollout. They volunteered to stay out. Who knows? The bottom line is they were supposed to go. They ended up not going. The president goes to Florida angry and on his own. And then the next morning you have this series of tweets. And and it's often when there's a fascinating insight and the context for what happened next. But it, I think the other point to keep in mind is that Donald Trump uh, is is a master at media manipulation and a master showman, and he he may have done this out of a, 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 a out of a fit of pique. He may have just seen something or read something and gotten upset about it when he woke up on Saturday morning. He may also have begun to feel the heat on this Russia story that then brought his attorney general to the recusal decision late in the week and decided it was time for a big old distraction. Keep in mind, he also tweeted as part of that same series about Arnold Schwarzenegger and celebrating his his, his leaving of The Apprentice. So there Did were a terrible job things, with that terrible show, by job the way. Terrible job. So all these things that are on his mind. But this, to me, is another level. And how many times we've used this these superlatives regarding Donald Trump. But this is unprecedented, and, and it's different than your average tweet uh, treat storm because you make a specific allegation about the former president of the United States, and then you layer on top of that the implications for the FBI, for the intelligence community, the, the, the harsh words he's had in the past, and they all come together for this really extraordinary circumstance where Donald Trump has his entire credibility on the line based on these tweets. So, so we, we are joined by the line, I think probably maybe the best person in America to talk about this, uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating at all. Um, also a good guy, by the way. We're, we're joined by uh, by General Michael Hayden, former CIA director, former head of the NSA, uh, former uh, 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 retired uh, four-star Air Force general, and an all-around great guy, author of Playing to the Edge, American Intelligence in the Age of Terror. How are you, General Hayden? I'm doing well. And clearly, John, none of that was given under oath. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. about this. I, I have to admit, I, I immediately thought of you when I when I saw this uh, this series of tweets coming from the president. Um, I, I know you, you've obviously been you haven't been shy about criticizing uh, this this president, particularly how he's dealt uh, with the intelligence community. But bottom line, is there any chance that what he alleged is true. And let's take the two different parts of the uh, the allegation here. One, that Trump Tower, that the Trump that he, that his campaign were uh, were wiretapped during the during the campaign, and B that, that President Obama could have had something to do with ordering it. 
Okay, to to take those in reverse order, John, uh, the president could not have ordered it. And when you look at the one of the original tweets, it was that President Obama directed that this take place. If President Obama was pulling that lever, John, in the in the White House, nothing was happening because nothing's connected to that lever. We have taken the ability to target U.S. person communications to put Americans under surveillance. We have taken that away uh, from the president. And we when, when was that done, in the American, Yeah, in the, in the mid-1970s, uh, coming out of Church Pike, setting up the FISA court. And so that the only way you can target a U.S. person, John, is to get a warrant from a FISA court judge. So, uh, number one, President Obama could not have directed this. I suspect even if it did happen, and there's an if in there, uh, he was would not have been made aware of it. All right? And now, to go to the second question, could it have happened? Broadly, John, the answer is, yeah, I guess it could, but there are broadly two kinds of FISA warrants, one for foreign intelligence purposes, the other for counterintelligence or law enforcement purposes. You had the foreign intelligence meister, Jim Clapper, on uh, Meet the Press yesterday, with Chuck Todd giving him an out, saying, I'm sure you can't confirm or deny. And Jim says, oh, yeah, I can. I deny it. We did not do this. And so that would seem to negate any foreign intelligence voice. And now, if you believe today's reporting, you've got Jim Comey trying to get somebody in the Department of Justice to say the same thing with regard to his lane. So that's kind of getting close, John, to creating the no set as to who then might have been doing this if the president was not. And, of course, he wasn't. Now, look, it is, it is conceivable that someone brought a case to a FISA judge and proved to a, a certain standard, you know, a probable cause, that the proposed target of some surveillance was either the agent of a foreign power or involved in criminal activity. But, John, I guess I'd suggest to you, if that's the case, that can't possibly be good news for the president either. So, and, and so I, I remain very, very skeptical that, that anything like this took place. But if it did, it was done under warrant and done to those standards. So James Comey, who I know you've known for years... Yeah. Is is in this situation where he believes, as it's been relayed to me, that the allegations made by the president do severe damage to the institution of the Justice Department and by extension to the concept of rule of law in, in the country. The, the, the idea that the nation's top law enforcement agency would be involved would do something like this of such a nakedly political uh, in such a nakedly political way uh, he believes as it's been re- recounted to me uh, extremely damaging to r- the rule of law in this country given that you're somebody who has been in a similar situation to call me not, not I mean not not with a president making allegations like this but you <laughs> but you've but you've you, you you've been in a position like his you, you I mean you, you, you've held a, you've held a job not unlike his what do you do? Does he 
owe it to uh, his institution? Does he owe it to the people to come out himself and say this publicly? Should he push this to, to the point of either the truth or resignation? What What should James Comey do? James Comey do? Yeah, John, it's it's, it's a great question. I, I I characterize what you described earlier today with the uh, president making it making a choice to put at risk his reputation, the reputation of his predecessor, the reputation of American institutions, and more broadly, the reputation of the United States of America in order to at least break even in the next 24-hour news cycle. Uh, That's kind of the lens through which I'm looking at this. John, you and I have talked. I mean, I have a high regard for Director Comey, although we have not always agreed in the past, and we have a bit of a history. Yes. But Jim, but Jim is a solid citizen, a loyal American, and an intelligent man. And uh, I, I suspect there are serious conversations over dinner tonight at the Comey household. General, I want to layer one other piece on top of this, which is that in the, in the, in the aftermath of this tweet on Saturday morning, uh, we know that the White House is now looking for evidence to back up the president's claim. And there was reporting in The New York Times that the White House counsel has been seeking uh, the, the FISA court order that they believe to exist, that apparently the president would have been referring to if he had thought all of this out. Where are the legalities stand around that? Could the White House counsel's office go find this if it wanted to? Are there protections in place that would shield even the president from finding out? You know, you know, um, Rick, I, I don't know the answer to that. And uh, the fact that I spent six years at NSA and I don't know the answer to that might might suggest how much we are off the map here in in terms of normal governmental activity. Um, so so I made it clear I don't know. So let me make something up for you. All right. Um, Please. It, it could be it could be possible that uh, some information like fact of. And, and limited peripheral information uh, might be made available uh, outside of the judicial process to who is, after all, the senior law enforcement officer in the country, the president of the United States. And, and when you see this, these stories develop and, and, and what's out there, take us inside the minds of the nation's intelligence services, the, the men and women who are doing this job and are, are on the, the front lines every day trying to keep the country safe. How is this being received among your former colleagues, people that you've worked with over there, to see the, the service and the commitment uh, questioned by the president of the United States? So I'm making this up. I've not done a survey. I've been up in New York uh, all day. Uh, but my suspicion is they have, at least in their minds, at least metaphorically perhaps, they've gone to battle stations at CIA, FBI, and NSA, if for no other reason than self-preservation and self-defense, because it appears as if the President of the United States has accused them of committing a felony uh, over the weekend. And, you know, I know the President complains about leaks, and he's got some legitimate complaints there. He really does. Uh, this is no way to stop leaks. But but let, let, let me let me explore that with you for a minute. This this notion of, of the leaks it it does seem to me from the outside you've got a much better sense of this uh, that there is there are there's somebody or there are there are somebodies uh, who are 
hell-bent on leaking damaging information on this president, and they do it quite strategically. Uh, somebody, you know, we, we, we've seen play out in the newspaper what seems to be the results of uh, surveillance of the Russian ambassador, both with the Michael Flynn episode and the details of, of, of the conversations that Michael Flynn had with the ambassador. I don't imagine that this, I mean, it seems to me the the only reason why that would be known is if there there, there had been surveillance of the ambassador. We've seen people refer to transcripts, uh, uh, supposedly, of the conversations between Flynn and the ambassador. And then this meeting with Sessions and the ambassador, um, I don't imagine that was Sessions' Senate office, uh, former Senate staffers leaking that. I imagine that was, again, somebody that had been keeping track of the uh, the ambassador's whereabouts, perhaps in the intelligence world. And it gets leaked strategically the morning after, you know, the, the high point of, of, of Trump's presidency, putting an abrupt end to all the, you know, the momentum he had coming out of that speech. What What is going on? Are there people in the intelligence community who are out to get Donald Trump back? I... John, I don't think so. I mean, I know the people in the community, and, and so it's just hard for me. But, you know, that, that may be my prejudice. That may be my life experience. I will share this with you, John. Um, you know, I was at the agency for three years. Um, I, I'm going to say something I'm probably going to regret, so therefore you're going to want me to say it. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. That, uh, yeah, I, I, when it comes to domestic politics, uh, the folks out at the agency are, are, are fairly naive. Uh, they they aren't the, the manipulators you'd get from your Sunday night TV dose of Homeland, all right? Um, so I, I would not automatically assume that intelligence information being leaked is being leaked by intelligence officers. Um, you know, this stuff gets collected for a purpose. There are people we call clients. We give the information to clients. They are far more political animals than, than the agency. So I, I just wouldn't automatically assume. Let me, let me just spend that a couple more turns, John. I mean, so you got the uh, unhappy phone call with the president of Mexico. That got leaked. There are no intel guys in that room. You got the unhappy phone call with the prime minister of Australia. There are no intel guys in that room. I know Sean Spicer checked everybody's cell phone. There are no intel guys in that room. All right. right. Um, what, what you've got, I think, is an incredibly fractured, chaotic contentious administration. So, so and, let me get this straight. Be- flying out. Because when, when I watched Homeland, um, I, I saw Dardal, uh, the, the CIA, the main CIA character, uh, listening into conversations with the president-elect, like, like I mean, yeah. almost in the van outside the meeting. You said that doesn't actually right, happen? Right. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. You know, that's why they, they call it fiction, John. Do you, do you get the sense that... When the president makes this allegation, you know, we, we get all tangled up into was there a FISA order? Was the FBI doing this? Was the do, is, is the president? And if I get a chance to ask him a question, maybe, maybe I'll find a way to get this to him. But uh, is he thinking of more of a Watergate style rogue? You know, the president's got some secret task force that's done outside the bounds of the rule of law. That there's a you know a group of goons, a goon squad that can go out and you know like 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 we see in Homeland. I mean, is that maybe that's what he's thinking? Yeah, it may be, and he did he did use the word Watergate. He did, yeah. I mean, he 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 did pull pull that ghost out of the closet so everyone could see it. Yeah. So so John, actually, you're bringing up an interesting point, though. I mean, for people like me who have lived this, um, 
when, when, when you read the tweet, uh, your, your initial instinct is that just isn't true. That just can't be possible. And I'm back to, you know, saying the president ordered it. Like I said, the president was pulling that lever in the oval. There was nothing on the other end. Right. Okay? It just, just wasn't, it just wasn't, wasn't happening. So what is your take? And, on but that? by the way, John, um, why didn't he call Comey? Why didn't he call the acting DNI? Say, hey, I just read this stuff here. This is very disturbing. I want you, you know, get an airplane, get down here to Florida. I'm going to talk to you before dinner. I want to know what's going on here. I mean, that would be a logical sequence of events, don't you think? He yeah. is the president of the United States, right? Yeah, they'd come down. Yeah, and, and they, they do report to him. He could actually find this out pretty quickly. And if there were a classified document that showed all of this, I, I'm correct in saying that he is the president of the United States. He could declassify that with a snap of his fingers. Am I right about that or am I wrong? Actually, John, the most amazing thing took place with the tweet. Yeah. Uh, if this did take place, he did declassify it. That's, Merely that's, by uttering it, the president the president can can declassify something just, just by oh tweeting yeah, it. Of course he can. But if it but if it did happen, he did. There you go, General. Before we let you go, the, the deep state does it exist? What does it mean to you that term that we're hearing emerge quite a bit, particularly from the right, as a as a suggested effort to undermine this president? Yeah, it does exist in Turkey, um, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 almost certainly in Russia. All right. Perhaps in Moldova, too. OK, um, I would prefer the, the phrase, Rick, uh, John, I would prefer the phrase permanent government. All right. Now, now I get it. All right. Uh, you know, per, permanent government can be actually a pain in the behind because this was a change election. He's coming in here with a new agenda. So there's been an awful lot of inertia from the bureaucrats pushing back against him. So I get that. All right. I, I, I get that that is going to be a problem. It's probably going to be a great frustration. And, and, and that's probably not good. All right. That he should push back. But the deep state seems to reflect this, this dark, sinister cabal hostile to the results of American democracy. And that's just not true. John, let me let me give you a, a really brief history lesson here. OK, Let, let's talk about CIA over the last three presidential transitions, all right? I'm talking about the deep state or the permanent government. In 2001, George Bush became president and changed no one at CIA. Eight years later, Barack Obama became president and changed me. I was the only one who left. And in fact, President Obama called Steve Kappas, my deputy, to talk Steve and the rest of the staff into staying and not leaving. And now, eight years after that, President Trump is in office, and the number of people who have swapped out are two. Mike Pompeo and Gina Haspel coming in as director and deputy director. So there aren't any Obama dead-enders in there. There aren't any deep-staters in there. What you've got is a cohort of intelligence professionals that presidents since 2000 have kept on, because they're willing to serve the president of either party so far. I mean, this isn't a trivial or passing matter. I mean, this is, this is, cutting, this is getting close to bone here with regard to how we govern ourselves and how our institutions contribute to American well-being. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, General, and, and uh, appreciate the insight. Uh, this is, I agree, this is these are these are big times, and I think that, uh, that your 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 words at the end that serving the president of either party so far that's a 
That's a ominous. chilling thing. Wow. Well, I, I mean, and again, I'm not saying these guys are jumping over the side, you know, but, but the last 48 hours haven't been helpful in that regard. I mean, how, how long can you can you stay doing what you're doing when you're and, and the sacrifices that that it entails for, for many of, of these people when the president's basically accusing you of being a, uh, you know, of, of committing felonies? Yeah. Yeah. Thank and you, sir. Thank okay. you, sir. General Thanks, Hayden, guys. appreciate it. And John, uh, let's 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 turn this over to the Justice Department. Uh, our yeah, I really. And, if only we had somebody over there that could really try to, you know, get that angle. We we just talked to General Hayden, a guy obviously who spent three years out at Langley, uh, several years uh, uh, there at the NSA. I'd really like to get a sense of somebody that really knows the ins and outs of what goes on at the Justice Department. Somebody who knows Jim Comey. Somebody who, who's worked with the FBI. Somebody who is deeply sourced. Do you have any idea how, what we can do? Some guy just walked in the room here. I don't know. We thought we might check in with him. But I, I want a guy we'll with find... integrity. I want a guy with experience. I want a guy. Uh, we got we got you covered. We got you covered, John. Pierre Thomas, our senior Pierre justice Thomas. correspondent. Here he is. Here he is, right in the studio with me. And, and Pierre, thanks for being here. I know of this course. is a busy time for all of us. But what what is going on right now? What is going on in James Comey's head uh, with him putting out word that he wanted to 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 see some clarification from the Justice Department on this point that what the president said over the weekend just did not happen. Well. What we know is that, from our multiple sources, is that uh, Comey was deeply concerned about what Trump specifically tweeted, that the President of the United States, President Obama, directed a wiretapping of a candidate during a heated presidential campaign. And uh, our sources are saying the, the director believes that did not happen and that he is super concerned uh, that it would create the impression that the FBI would engage in improper or illegal activity. And, and so what is that, where does that leave Director Comey? I, I, that, that's an extraordinary thing, and he, he's dealing with a Justice Department that doesn't have a lot of people in place. Um, as, as you've pointed out in your reporting, the, the Attorney General, who's in charge of the Justice Department, just on Thursday recused himself from all matters related to the election relating to Russia, and this would presumably fall squarely under that. If he doesn't get that answer, where how does this how does this end? Well, the acting de- deputy attorney general, um, a guy named Dana uh, Bente, is um, going to resolve this according to our sources. Um, he's uh, the person who's the most senior person at the Justice Department right now, and he's going to the have most to senior person not recused. Correct, not recused uh, to deal with this matter. So that is complicating, to say the least. Who is he going to consult? Uh, my guess is he'll consult uh, some of the career attorneys, uh, ask them about uh, the prudence of commenting on uh, an investigation, which is something DOJ hates doing. Um, but you have the FBI director who believes that the basically the rule of law uh, comes into play here, that you cannot have the public concerned that the FBI conducts politically motivated investigations designed to help or hurt any particular candidate. But is there any sense that it's possible that the acting deputy attorney general would actually say yes to Comey's request? You know, to be seen. Uh, We just don't know. Um, But, I mean, Pierre, that would be the Department of Justice basically saying that the president is out to lunch. 
that the president has said something that is not only untrue, but slanderously so. Well, again, here's where we're in, I wouldn't say uncharted waters, but choppy waters. Um, I, I don't think these ones have been charted either, Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, look, 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 the bottom line here is the president of the United States has incredible authority. But if he says something that's inaccurate, uh, it's not like there's no one in the government that's allowed to say so. Uh, and that's what we are wrestling with here right now. Comey is trying to follow Justice Department protocol uh, and go through his bosses at the Justice Department, the prosecutors who make the final calls on these things. Uh, some people are sitting at home saying, well, what's the difference between this and the Hillary Clinton situation? Well, that situation is different because uh, then Attorney General uh, Loretta Lynch had gotten on that plane with Bill Clinton, and then the firestorm over that caused her to say, I'm leaving this matter to be resolved by the FBI director and the career prosecutors at the Justice Department. So that gave Comey the freedom in his mind to comment publicly on that case uh, when he determined that uh, charges should not be filed. And then you recall, um, in terms of the reigniting the email investigation nine days before the election, he sent a, a letter to Congress basically saying to them, look, I told you if there was something new to develop in that case that needed to be looked at, I would do so, and now I'm doing that. So he did. He never had a, held a public briefing on that, but just like in this case, uh, the reporting has gotten out there that he has requested that the Justice, Justice Department clarify the record. So, I, so he, he, because in that case, I, to, to understand this, Pierre, he, he felt like he was empowered by the, by the, I guess not, not a formal recusal, but by the Attorney General Lynch handing it over and saying that she wouldn't have a decision. In his mind, the, the Attorney General has recused himself from the investigation, but he hasn't said, Comey, run with this, it's all you. It, it, well, again, in that case, the Attorney General specifically said, Mr. Comey and the career attorneys will be the decision makers. So uh, one other piece of this, I think another layer to all of this, Pierre, as you've reported, this is all in the context of an investigation, an active investigation, we believe, into the Russia ties. And that has to go on at the same time, right? I mean, this, whatever's happening now with, with who was wiretapping and whether, whether there were FISA warrants or not, there's an underlying investigation here that we still don't know where it leads. Well, let me see if I can break it down this way. There's a counterintelligence investigation that's gone on for some time looking at what did the Russians do during the 2016 election. And what they found out, and they published on this and made public comment, is that the Russians hacked the hell out of the DNC, uh, hacked John Podesta, the campaign manager of Hillary Clinton, and then weaponized the information, And uh, according to the government, and tried to get the information out specifically to hurt Hillary Clinton and to help Donald Trump. Now, in the course of that counterintelligence investigation, obviously they're interested in, okay, were there any Americans talking to the Russians during this time? And if so, did they do anything that would be considered illegal? Now, they're far, far away from, I think, being able to prove any of that based on our reporting and our sourcing, Jonathan and Rick. Uh, but Given the fact that there were contacts, if you're any investigator, and we all know that investigators like resolving things completely if they can, they're curious. Uh, and they're curious about the fact that 
obviously you had all these statements that there were no contacts, and now we know that there were. So the bottom line becomes they're trying to figure out what took place, if anything. Fascinating. So I, I want to, before we, we let you go, and there's so much more <laughs> to talk about, um, but we'll have you back, Pierre. But I, I wanted to get your sense of, we, we talked earlier in the show about how angry President Trump was over uh, Attorney General Sessions' decision to recuse himself from this uh, Russia investigation or anything related to any possible Russia investigation. Uh, w- 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 what's your sense from your building about where that leaves uh, the Justice Department White House relationship? I did notice today that as the uh, executive order on the, the new travel ban was outlined, which was a Justice Department, Homeland Security, State Department joint announcement, the president was nowhere to be found. Is, is there, is there, are, are you sensing any, any tensions between his, the president and his man at justice? Um, let me say this. I mean, we have, through your reporting, excellent reporting, I might add, uh, that the president apparently was not that happy about uh, the attorney general recusing himself. Um, but having covered Justice Department, the, the Justice Department, many years, um, there's always that feeling out process in the first days, weeks, months of a new administration where it, the, the Justice Department at some point and the FBI director at some point have to make clear that there are certain things that the White House is allowed to micromanage, if you will, like civil matters, positions on policy matters, but on matters of criminal investigation. That is where the Justice Department typically draws the line and says, hey, folks, back up. We do this. We can report to you on our findings. We can report to you on what we do, but back up and let us do our jobs. And so, uh, again, you have a new president who's sort of sorting out, you know, uh, what levers levers he can pull. Um, I think it's fair to say that based on our reporting that Comey, at least this weekend, is drawing a line, laying down a marker that suggesting that the FBI did something improper at the behest of a president to target a political campaign is a non-starter. And he wants that known, and he wants it, you know, uh, the Justice Department to speak on his behalf to say so. It is truly, utterly, amazingly remarkable. Pierre Thomas, thank you for for being with us and providing that insight and, and, and keep up the great reporting. We really appreciate it. Great talking to you guys. Thank you, Pierre. And Rick, that is it for our emergency edition of the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. We will be back at our regularly scheduled time, which is like Thursday or Friday or something. But yeah, whenever, uh, whenever, whenever we get around to it. But, it but this was, uh, these are big times. The, the, story, the story gets away from you if you don't hit it, hit it every day. We, we, we don't rule out another emergency podcast before Thursday or Friday either, do we, Rick? No, you can't. Not in this circumstance. No. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. Please remember to subscribe uh, to the podcast. Give us a review. Give us a, a shout out on Twitter. Ask us a question on Twitter. We'll bring it up at Rick Klein or at J O N K A R L, John Carl. Thank you for listening. Thank you.